I was thinking about this morning's message and realizing that there are, are two kinds of people in the world. There are those that like to ask the question why and there are those that like to ask the question how. There are those who really like music theory and how the math of all that works and there are those who spend countless hours in practice and make the music. There are those who are uh, who like the question why, and they're, they're the mathematicians who, who love the books open and, and the fact that it actually resolves and there's a right answer. It's a wonderful thing for them. And they're the engineers who love to build things and blow things up and make, thing, make those math equations work. And uh, probably if you've had children, you've seen some of both of those in action even from the very beginning. Both of those questions are important. Why and how? Because really, without, without one or the other, you would have an incomplete mastery of uh, the world as it is. Really, if you have music theory but never hear any music, that would be a disappointment. But if, you are, if you're a musician and you don't know music theory, then your music isn't all that it could be. And the same is true, really, of the Scriptures and what it means to be a Christian. There is a why side of things and there is a how side of things. There is the, the, the theory or the things that you must know that are important. And there is, okay, once you know that, what do you do with it? There's both the theory and the practice. The why and the how. Well, it turns out that in Romans 6, there are both of those questions. Both the why and the how. And so I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 6. And while you're turning there, we have spent most of the time on the why question. In fact, the the, the chapter starts out with a, a question about why. There's a, there's a statement in chapter 5 that says that, uh, it, that when... Uh, Sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so the why question is, why would you, why wouldn't you keep sinning if you get more grace? And so he then answers a why question about our faith. The reason that you don't, or the why behind why you wouldn't keep sinning is that you're united to Jesus. You're one with Jesus. His history is your history. And that's really what chapter 6 has been about this whole time. About the why of being united with Christ and what that does to free you from sin. And so, the why is important because if you don't have that why, you're never going to be free from sin. So you've got to get that why. And he spent the majority of chapter 6 talking about that. But then... Once you get to, to verse 15, there's another question, and it's a how question. Let's, let's read the rest of the chapter, and then we'll talk about the how question. Romans 6, beginning first, first, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one 
whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to a lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we have the how question. He said in verse 14, which I didn't read, he said, For sin shall have no dominion over you since you were not under law, but under grace. There's good news. You're not under law, but you're under grace. The natural question if you're under law or you're under grace and not under law is, are we going to keep sinning because we're not under law but under grace? In other words, how will you stop sin if there's no law? If you take the law out, what's going to keep it from being a free-for-all? Think about that. I mean, we... Uh, on my way to church this morning, pull on the freeway, and there's a policeman sitting right there on the exit, pointing, thankfully, toward the, the freeway, not toward the on-ramp. It's always making me nervous, right? So, but, we're pulling on the on-ramp, and this, this white, maybe some of you, this white, I hope not, this white car whizzes by, really whizzes by. Pulls, he pulls right out, ahead of us on the on-ramp. And um, sure enough, that the person knew that they were busted, and they pulled over. And without him even turning his lights on, they pulled in. They pulled into the viewpoint. They pulled into the viewpoint, and uh, waited for him. Actually, <laughs> what would control speeding if there was no policeman sitting uh, around the corner? Right? What would control? The question is, what would control? Sin if there's no law. Now, that's a great question. Because most of us, if not all of us, are wired to try and control our own sin with the law. The only mechanism that most of us use to stop sinning is to increase the law. And so... Because we're concerned about drunkenness. Someone says there must be a law never to drink. Okay. Because we're concerned about lust. There, there has to be a law that says we don't watch those kind of shows. 
And so we build a law to protect us from the sin and all the, 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 the worse the sin, the tighter the law. And so all we have to do to control sin, we think, is increase the law. And what, what we have learned in Romans 6 is that you don't have to be subject to the law anymore because you're subject to Christ instead. If you recall, Romans 4 and 5 present two worlds. One in which Adam is the, the ruler and it's the natural world where sin and death reign. And the only thing over here that keeps people from sinning is law. But what has happened when Jesus came is that there, He opened up another world, you might say. Another uh, universe in which Jesus is King and grace is the rule of the land. And it leads to eternal life. And what He's telling us now is that if you're over here and, and you're under grace, what's going to keep you from sinning? How will you stop sin if there's no law? That's the question. It's a very good question. It's a very good question because the operating system here under Adam is law. The only way that things stay you know, upright is because the law keeps them that way. And then when you're here and Jesus now is the, the King, what keeps things upright over here? How in the world will people over here under Jesus stop sinning because they're under grace and not the law? That's the question. It's the how question. And so, he gives a very practical how answer to the question. Well, don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So his answer to the question, are you going to keep sinning or how will you control sin, is present yourself to the right master. Now this has been a struggle, this has been a struggle to get this chapter, this part of the chapter, especially because he's talking about, he's, he's talking about, uh, slavery. And that does not compute. Because the closest any of us come to slavery is about uh, 150 years ago in the American South. Which isn't the same picture of slavery that he's addressing in Romans. In fact, the, the Roman, well, the entire Roman population was about one-third slaves. Okay, so if you look down the row from you there, and there's six of you in your pew here, two of you are slaves. And according, uh, according to historians, not only were one-third slaves, over half of them were either current slaves or former slaves. So they would have been very uh, um, aware of what he's talking about when he's talking about slavery. And the, there were multiple kinds of slavery, of course. There was some that was, that was awful and abusive. I mean, you can think of the salt mines. 
the public servants in the salt mines, that was, those were, those were conquered um, people from other lands. They would bring them in and they would, they would build the Roman roads, right? They would build the aqueducts. They would do, they would do the public service and they were not cared for and they were thrown away. They were mistreated. They're the public servants. There was another class of servants, though, that were, were private servants. And these private servants were allowed to own property. They were allowed to buy their freedom from their own property if they wanted. Sometimes they would sell themselves into slavery to somebody else because they came into debt or because they were, um, they were overwhelmed with some kind of uh, life and death situation. They would sell themselves or they would sell their, sell their children into slavery and somebody would be a slave in a home and in many ways, they were better off than some of the day laborers. And you remember some of Jesus' parables where he would tell stories about a landowner who would go out in the morning and he'd find somebody to work in his field and he'd agree with him on a wage and he'd send him out in the field and there was more work to be done. And so he would go find another worker, you know, at 11 o'clock and he'd send him out and he'd find another one later and another one later. And there, there were folks just standing in the marketplace hoping to get a job. Well, that was kind of a risky way to find work. If you, if you wanted to be a little more secure, you hire yourself out as a slave and you would be a private slave to pay your debts or make sure you had a meal and that sort of thing. And I think that's what he has in mind because here you have slaves who present themselves to a master. And say, here I am, you know, will work for rent, more or less. And they're presenting themselves uh, to some master to obey that master and to serve that master. And that's the picture that he gives us of what it means now that you have been set free by Christ before you were under the tyrant of sin. And, the, and you received the lashes and you were bound for death. It was going to be awful until Jesus came and set you free. But He didn't set you free for nothing. He didn't set you free to do whatever you want. You were free then to present yourself to some master. You could go back to the tyrant, either sin which leads to death, or you could present yourself to a different master of obedience which leads to righteousness. And so you could choose then. That's what the freedom was. You could then choose where you would present yourself. And so that's the way that he pictures this. And you can see how now when you put it in those terms, it's much more practical. Because the question for you and the question for me becomes, who are you going to present yourself to? When, it, when you have to show up, what are you going to show up for? And so how are you going to stop sin if you're under grace? And so I, there, there are three... You know, three ways that sin gets stopped here, or three parts of the answer to how do you stop sin that are remaining here in the text. And verse 17 has, has really the, 
the, uh, the death blow to this. The dagger. The one that is the most important reason. He says, thanks be to God. Don't make any mistake that whatever success you're going to have against sin, it's going to, it's going to point you back to God. Thanks be to God. Because once you were slaves to sin, you become obedient to the heart to sin or to teaching to which uh, you were committed. You were slaves to sin. You've been set free now to choose your masters because God has done something here. So thanks be to God. When you're trying to manage your sin and control your sin, when the only things that keep sin under control is the law, then it is your performance that matters the most. And what he's saying is, you know what, it's not your performance matters the most. Thanks be to God. What, what a, the, the solution he's going to give to sin right now is a God-centered solution. One that responds to the work that God has done. And here's, here's what he says. You were once slaves to sin. Now you have become obedient from the heart. So the, the first element of how do you stop sin is that your heart is changed. See, this is, these are not parallel. There, there is works of the law that you can do completely from the outside. I mean, I could have a terrible attitude and not speed down 205. What he's saying here is that that's not the way that it works under grace. Under the law, it works that way. But under grace, there must be a transformation of the heart, which is exactly what He's promised in the New Covenant. In Ezekiel 36, He says, I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put a new heart within you and it will teach you My ways. This is a new, a new covenant promise. He's saying, God has done what God said He would do. And He's given you a new heart that will be obedient to Him. So it's no longer obedience to the law. It's now obedience to Jesus. You become obedient to, from the heart. This is exactly what Jesus had in mind when He was talking to Nicodemus. And He said, you know, Nicodemus, uh, you know, if you're going to get to heaven, you must be born again. You must have a new heart. You can't get there by the old way keeping the law. You must have a new heart. And so, what He's saying is the decisive blow to sin is the fact that God has done what God promised to do in giving new heart to you. You can't win against sin without that new heart. And you become obedient from the heart. And then he says, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now this is very interesting. Because this standard of teaching is the only time in all the Bible it uses that word. Or that, that phrase to describe what it is you're obedient to. And it's not the law. It's not being obedient to the law. It's now being... a obedient to a, a standard of teaching or to a new rule of teaching, namely the Gospel. What he's giving here is a new heart that now responds to Jesus. 
A new heart that obeys the Gospel. To obey the Gospel is to believe it. That Jesus died in my place, took the wrath of God for me, rose again so that I might have new life. I am identified with Him and free from the penalty of sin. Free from the power of sin. Really? Yeah, count me in. I'll obey that. That's way better than all those rules. See, that's what He's saying. You, you become obedient to heart to the Gospel to which you were committed. Now, this is, this is another interesting turn of a phrase too because He has given us the Gospel, but it isn't that the Gospel was committed to us to hold and believe and you know, transmit. It's actually just the opposite. We weren't given the Gospel. We weren't given, the Gospel was given... Um, excuse me. The Gospel wasn't given to us we were given to the Gospel. The standard of teaching to which you were committed. It isn't, it isn't to which you had a high level of commitment. Okay, that's, not, that's not the word uh, that's translated committed at all. It's really the one to which you were delivered. You were delivered to the Gospel. What happened when Jesus came is that there is a new sheriff in town. There is a new king and you, your heart has been changed. He has come with good news and you, that, and you have been committed to that good news. You have been uh, delivered over from the law to the good news. You're in a completely different mode of living now. Instead of the law, you have the Gospel. So that's why that's why you're not trying to obey the law, but you're experiencing grace. You have been delivered. That, that, that's more the, the translation. You've been delivered to the Gospel. And so, you've been delivered to the Gospel having your heart changed so that now the whole way that you relate to God is different because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You're not thinking that you're going to establish your own righteousness here by keeping the law. Instead, you're going to, by faith, experience the righteousness given to you by God because of Jesus. That's the Gospel. That's the new standard of teaching that you were delivered to. And so the decisive act in this freedom from sin has been done by God when He put Jesus on the cross and identified you with Jesus. So, thanks be to God. That's the first uh, and decisive uh, change that's taken place that enables you to be free. He points this out. He says, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So, you're, again, you're, you were delivered from the tyrant named sin so that you could choose to be a slave either of sin and death or of obedience and righteousness. And you have chosen righteousness and now have been delivered to the Gospel. It's interesting. He knows what He's doing here. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. There is a great why underneath all of this. He says that I'm doing my best 
to, to talk to you about something that you know like slavery in order to help you realize the enormous freedom you have in Christ. And so he uses a human illustration of, of slave and master to try and depict the relationship that now uh, that we no longer have to sin and that we now have to the Gospel. And so here, then, is the second uh, aspect of being free from sin. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. And so there was a, there was a time when all you did was show up and sin. When the, the default setting on the human heart was to rebel against God and to do what you wanted. And just like you used to do that, now present your members as slaves to righteousness. So you, you know, I'm thinking about this, thinking, what does that look like? Okay, we're answering a how question here. How do I do that? I think there are two parts to presenting yourselves as um, slaves to righteousness. There is the there is the the first part, which I would say is the determination to do that. You are like this this um, slave that had just been purchased from the tyrant, and now you're standing there having you know, and you have to choose a slave, like Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. And so you're there faced with a decision about which direction in life you're going to go, either back to the tyrant or now toward righteousness and freedom. And so his, his first um, command here is, now present your members slaves to righteousness. Decide. Say from this day forward, that's not who I am anymore. That's not the way my life works anymore. I am now going to serve righteousness. And make that decision right now. That's the first part of it. Decide that you're going to be who you actually are. Free in Christ to serve righteousness. And so there's that initial decision based on the why of the rest of chapter 6. But I think there's also, there's also the instantaneous part of this. So that when I am faced with an impulse, okay, isn't that how sin, isn't that how sin comes on you? It's how sin comes on me. It's like, boom, it's right there and I, I'm ready to pounce. I'm ready to, you know, tell a story I shouldn't tell. I'm ready to, you know, be angry when I shouldn't be angry. I'm ready to, do something I shouldn't do. And there's this impulse. There is a space between the impulse and the action. And in that space, present yourselves anew, slaves of righteousness. You, you don't, you're not just an animal who acts according to instinct and can do no other. You have a gap here between the impulse to sin and the action that you take. And in that gap, 
you present your members instruments of righteousness. Which is no, um, it's no surprise. You know, I, I, mean, I mentioned, you know, musicians earlier. Okay, I, there are, uh, I mean, I, I'm not one. Do you know why? Because I didn't present my members to practice. I'm just going to say that. Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I practice my music? Because I had not previously made the decision, I had not previously understood that I am a musician and that's what musicians do. I wanted to be something besides a musician. So I quit. But you see, what happens is there is this initial decision based on who I am. And if that's the kind of person that I am. And see, the Scriptures told us in chapter 6, you are now free from sin. You are alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're united with Christ. You are this new kind of person. Because of who you are that is new, present your members slash righteousness. Go ahead and practice. You are now a musician. Practice. Because, guess what? I can't imagine. Maybe I'm, giving, maybe I'm uh, not giving them enough credit. But I cannot imagine a musician that at some point in time wanted to skip practice. Right? But what, did, what, what had they already decided? They'd already decided, I'm a musician. And so then in that moment when the temptation is not to practice... That's when you present your members again as slaves to music, you might say. Present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. And so, he gives us this really practical uh, step. And I I hope you'll think about it. I hope you'll think about this in, in the big picture, who am I? Am I pre- have I presented myself as a, as a slave to righteousness? Am I now in this universe that Jesus rules? Do I belong to Him? And I hope that you, I hope that you trust in Jesus for your salvation. And when you do, you, this is who you are. And so you present yourself to be what you are. But then in the moment, you intercept that impulse and you anew present your, your members as slaves to righteousness. And so, that's, that's the first thing really that you do. Christ has changed you. He's given you a new heart. And so what do you do because you have that new heart that now is committed to the Gospel? Now, you present yourselves. And then there's another Another thing that you can do, another answer to the question, how am I going to be free from sin? And that is in in the rest of the chapter. And that's basically consider the outcome of your choices. You have to think about what it is you're doing. Because when you were slaves to sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. When you lived over here under Adam, you weren't obligated under righteousness. There was no pressure. There was no. You didn't. Righteousness didn't have dominion. Sin had dominion. Sin told you to do something and you did it. You weren't free not to. 
That's changed now. And so he asks the question, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The end of those things. How many things do you do every day and you don't think about the end of those things? Maybe maybe you stay at work way too late. And you have obligations to your family that you feel bad about but don't do anything about. Do you ever think about the end of those things? What that's going to be in 10 or 15 years? Do you think about the impact that your choices of friends have on you? You become like the people that you spend time with. And so you... you Spend time with people without thinking about, do I really want to become like that person? He's saying, you need to think about the end of this and the fruit of it and the direction that is leading you. Because you stack up action after action after action after action and you're going you're gonna to go in one direction or the other. So think about it. Choose today what kind of person you want to become. What kind of operating system you want to be under, law or grace. What king you want to follow, Adam or Christ. And realize, it's all going to lead you somewhere. And you're going to become that person. Be the kind of person you want to be. That's what he's saying. Consider the end of your choices. Any, <clears throat> this, this I think is really instructive um, to me. The things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. There is a connection between shame and death. And I'm not... I'm not necessarily thinking of someone shaming you. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the fact that you are not who you want to be. You are not enough. You are, uh, you are afraid you'll be a disappointment. And so, because of the way that you were trying to keep the law and failing and, or dismissing the law altogether, you... You have every right to be ashamed. The end of those things is death. There is this connection between shame and death. And you see it in the very beginning. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 says, Adam and Eve were there in the garden. They were naked and they were not ashamed. And immediately then, they uh, entertain the serpent and they eat from the forbidden fruit and they recognize they are naked and they are ashamed and they cover themselves up. They hide from one another. They hide from God. They blame each other. And they're doing the very things that death brings. 
I mean, God said they would die. They didn't die right away. They simply became ashamed immediately. See, I think that's, I think that's very interesting. And now he's saying, you need to think about that. You need to think about not just the, the ultimate end of the decisions that you make, but even their immediate impact on you and how you feel. I mean, think about it. The things of which you are now ashamed. You, you lie to someone. It's just a little lie, but it gets you out of a tough spot and you, you're glad to be out of that tough spot. But you, you feel pretty crummy in that crumminess there is a little bit of the death that sin brings. It's the shame. And so he says, think about the end of this. Push yourself away from this immediate moment out into the future so you're thinking about what your choices are doing to you. Because now that you've been set free from the tyrant and have become the slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. There is a new end. You can choose a new end now that you've been set free from sin. Don't go back to the tyrant. Now that you're a slave to God, the fruit you're going to get leads to sanctification. Or to holiness. It leads to holiness. And the end of that is eternal life. In other words, the sin is not controlled by the law. The sin is controlled by the change that God has wrought in my life. By the fact that in the moment, I'm presenting myself a slave to God. And I am desiring a better end. And so I pursue that better end with better choices. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so he's got this beautiful uh, you know, diamond on top of the ring here. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He sets it out as clearly as he can. What is it that you want? If you choose sin, you'll get paid what you're owed. You'll get your wages. If you sin, you'll get exactly what you deserve. What you've earned. And that is death. Sin and death always go together. Don't be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he also reaps. Galatians 6. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the invitation again this morning is for you to trust in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. He, he's the one who delivers. Trust in Jesus. He's the one that gives a new heart that enables you to, to obey the Gospel. To love it. To believe it. To make the decision in the moment. To choose then eternal life. And so I beg... I beg you, don't go on not knowing who you are. Don't go from here saying, well, I still feel like I can't stop sinning. You can stop sinning. 
God has done everything necessary for you to stop sinning. And He says, simply present yourselves as a slave to God. Make the decision. Make the change. Contemplate the end of each of these things so that you have the free gift of God, which is eternal life. Let's pray.